Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I'm so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I'm really happy to have Janie Spencer on the call. Thank you so much, Janie, for getting up super early over there in France to make time to come and talk to us all. You're welcome. So Janie has been an Aware Parenting instructor now for more than 20 years. She is the Level 2 Regional Coordinator for France and French-speaking Switzerland. She is the mother to a 33-year-old daughter who was raised with Aware Parenting. She has a Master in Sociology of Emotions and so much experience in this area. Together with her colleague, Gwenaëlle Ruella, she has set up an association called Place des Emotions in France, and I look forward to learning more about that. But that is an association that provides information to help people to learn more about the science and function of emotions, why it's vital for us to accept our emotions, and they offer individual and group training for individuals and for organizations where they teach the aware parenting approach and give the tools to people to help their children to flourish. They focus on helping parents and professionals to become influential in shaping positively the lives of children and creating a better world one family at a time. So that sounds like an amazing association that you've set up there. Um, obviously, when you found Aware Parenting, that was some time ago, but can you tell us a little bit about how you found out about this approach and what it was initially that you loved so much about it? Well, I, in the university, I was looking for something because, of course, I had a very difficult childhood. And I met uh, someone in a group called Reevaluation Co-Counseling who happened to be Aletha's mother. And so I found out about aware parenting from Aletha's mother. Wow. And so what was it that that spoke to you most or, or what did you love about it when you first started? So this was presumably before you had your daughter or? Yes, in 1975. What I liked about it was that it worked. Afterwards, after having a session and crying or or getting angry and uh, having somebody listen to you, you felt better. You felt better and you could think more clearly. You you felt like the, the fog lift and you could think more clearly about things. That's what I liked about it. Wow. Yeah. And so when your daughter was born, you started practicing this approach with her. How, how was that process initially for you? I was ready for it. Uh, I had my daughter at 40, so I was definitely ready to have a daughter and to ha spend the time to listen to her. And I was used to listening, actively listening to people without talking and interrupting. And I had taken a, an aware parenting class from Aletha Salter in Santa Barbara. So I was ready to listen to her. I can't say that it was easy. I was on my own in France and it was it was not easy, but I knew that it was necessary. I knew that it was normal and I welcomed my daughter's emotions. Yeah. 
Amazing. It sounds amazing. I, I loved you bringing in this that you were used to to doing active listening and you knew how to do that. And so it was a natural extension then for you, especially after doing Aletha's courses, to be able to offer that to your child and that you knew it understood how normal and necessary it is for us to to welcome our children's feelings. But that's not an easy process, even, even with experience, even with the opportunities to have been receiving that listening ourselves and also to have offered it to other adults. It There is a different quality to it when we offer it to our children and it, it tends to bring up lots of stuff for us as well. Is that something that you found too? Absolutely. And it's one way. They're not listening to you. When you do it with adults, I might have an hour of being listened to, and then I listen to somebody for an hour. But your children, are it's 24-7. You never know what time they're going to have a session. might be at 3 a.m. <laughs> Could be any time of the day or night, and you don't know how long it's going to last or, or what they really need. And, of course, you try to take care of all of their needs first, but they're still crying then. They need to cry. Mm. Yeah, that's really helpful to think of it that way, that it, it is a one-way process with our children, isn't it? Particularly when they're younger. And uh, and that 24-7-ness of it means that you know, we can be called on to be listening to feelings at any time of the day or night w- without the support that we need often in our families to be to be receiving that support ourselves. And, and like you say, we have no idea how long that's going to go on for. Or, or to really know what, what exactly what they need, particularly when they're little. So can, can you talk a little bit more about what that active listening looks like and, and how, you, how you support parents to, to do that? How do you describe that process when we're listening to our children's feelings? What are some of the important ingredients of that listening? I think it's important to give them the scientific information that we know now that we have. We have scientific information that proves that it's better to listen to your children than it is to ignore their crying. And right away, when my daughter was three months old, I was at a dinner party and she was sleeping in the other room and she started to cry. And I got up to go to her and people said, leave her, leave her. You're going to teach her to cry. (laughs) Their idea was that if you let the child cry it out within three or four weeks, they won't cry anymore. And that was not at all what I wanted to do. But it's very difficult because when you are listening to a child, you need to be listened to. And that is the part that's difficult to explain to people and difficult for them to grasp a hold of. And I think that it's very necessary for them. It's necessary that they realize that they have to have someone that will listen to them as well. Mm. And so in in my workshops, I explained the scientific information and people get that and suddenly they go, oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know that. And then I have them try uh, listening to someone and talk about it afterwards. What was difficult? What was did was it easier to listen or was it easier to be listened to? And uh, people find it quite difficult not to talk while the other person is having their session. But that's the rules I give. During this time, you don't talk, you just listen. You listen with your eyes, with your feelings, with your hands, with your whole being. You just listen to them. So that's a challenge, but I think that awakens something in people. And I often hear them say, 
yes, I would like to have a group of other parents that I could talk to because they are mostly isolated in this approach in France. Mm. Yeah, that's such a common problem, isn't it? Feeling isolated when we're doing things in a different way. And I, I loved how you were talking about the fact that we do have scientific information and it's really so important now that we have we have that evidence to be able to share. I think Aletha was so ahead of her time and it's so nice that science has now really caught up with so much of what she was saying in terms of our understandings of these things. But yeah, your description of that cultural misunderstanding about tears and the process of tears and that so many people think if you just leave a child to cry, they'll stop crying after four weeks and then it would have worked. And and that is still so widely practiced in, in our societies with so many people. And yet now we have this evidence that tells us about the healing power of, of releasing feelings through through tears, through expressing our feelings and, and how powerful that is for our children. And I, I really like what you brought in as well about how when we're listening to feelings in our children, we really need to be receiving listening ourselves. I think that's so important. And again, you know, we we talk about that a lot in in aware parenting sessions and in our communities and so on. But really, that is the crucial thing for us to be able to listen to children. We need to be listened to as well. And and I loved how you were describing that listening as being like a whole body experience. Really, what we're offering is is our deep presence and our art with our eyes and and all of those kind of things to to show our children that we're really less listening to them. Were there things that you found tricky then about listening to feelings uh, as you were learning this approach? Yes, I think it's very difficult to listen to to feelings. You might not have the time or you might not have the availability to listen. And I know that at, at one point when my daughter was about four years old or maybe three years old, uh, I, I went in my room and I closed the door and I said, I'm sorry, I can't come out. I knew I was going to say something that I would regret later. And so it was better to just isolate myself than to say something that I I didn't want to say. Mm. Because she had gone on the walls again. <laughs> yes. And I think that's so important, isn't it? That we learn to tune into ourselves so we understand when we are reaching the point where we don't have capacity to listen anymore and, and try to, to take care of ourselves and tend to ourselves in any small way that we can in that moment to prevent ourselves from going in and, and speaking in ways that we don't want to. But what I also love about aware parenting and, and that Aletha described so beautifully is this process of, of rewinding and 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 restoring connection when there has been a break, because it's kind of inevitable that all of us at some stages are going to treat our children in ways that are unenjoyable for them and for us. Is that something that you've also found really helpful? Yes. And, you know, I, I think that having somebody you can call up and say, I need to be listened to right now is very important because sometimes you just, you can't take it. You can't, you don't have the mental capacity to listen to somebody when you yourself need to be listened to. So that's something I definitely appreciate. Mm. So, so what did that look like for you? Where did you get that kind of support from? Did you have like an empathy buddy or, or was that part of your ongoing training that you were doing anyway? Or what did that look like for you? And what does that look like now for you? Uh, I still do uh, re-evaluation co-counseling, which is how I met Aletha's mom. And it's been what has saved me 
in this world because I don't think that I could have managed otherwise. And two of my brothers committed suicide and one was murdered. So I, I think that I have managed with the help of various people. You don't need to know them. They just need to know the process of how to listen to other people. And you take time each in your turn. And I did have people in France that I could do evaluation co-counseling with. Well, you've obviously, and you shared in, in your bio with me as well, you've obviously experienced significant trauma in your own childhood and you, you've found ways to support yourself to process and heal from that. And is that mostly through this, this re-evaluative co-counseling, which is, I think, the same thing really as, as an empathy buddy, isn't it? It's, could you explain a bit more about what, what that looks like? Yes. You learn the process. You learn to... The, the ideas of listening to people and that it's good to discharge your feelings with somebody listening. And then you can do it with whoever around the world that is also trained in this method. So it is like having a listening buddy. It's exactly like having a listening buddy, just called a different thing. And that has really saved me, I think. Yeah. It's so powerful. And it reinforces our understanding about the power of, of being heard and being understood and, and having somebody care and to be there for you. And so that helps us again to be then offering that to our children more and more too. But it's that's really profound because you, what you're talking about from your own childhood experiences is really very significant trauma. And it's so extraordinary to know that the healing power of, of receiving that compassion, that listening, that support to to allow you to process that and to learn to live with that in a way that that isn't holding you back, but is actually allowing you to to flourish in spite of the trauma that you experienced. Yes, 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 exactly. Mm. Is there anything else you want to say about that process? I think it's it's everything. It's everything. If you don't, I understand the difficulty that parents here have listening to their children because they were never listened to. They were never listened to. They are not listened to at home. They're not listened to in school and they spend their life not being listened to. So it's very difficult for them to grasp this idea because when you have this ability to discharge your emotions and be listened to, these chunks of things that were in your way get out of the way and you start thinking clearly because before you weren't thinking clearly. It was messed up with what happened when I was three and nine and you, you are a victim, in fact, of the way that you have been treated in life. And when you clear away and discharge the emotion that's sticking all of that in your head, you start thinking clearly. Yeah. Yes, it's so profound, isn't it? It's so profound. And it, it's really always the first place to start, isn't it? Whenever I have a client contact me to tell me something that they're finding difficult in their family, I feel like a bit of a broken record because that's often where usually almost always, in fact, where we start saying, you know, what's going on for you? What is this bringing up for you? 
what are you making it mean how is this familiar how are these what are you feeling all of these things and then we get to actually looking at, at ways to support the child so it's just so important i really love that you shared that thank you yeah. what about some of the other aspects of aware parenting then i know that in in the 70s obviously aletha hadn't written her book attachment play so that wasn't as widely understood but is that something else that you've enjoyed doing in your family and also supporting other families with and, and the power of, of that part of aware parenting. Exactly. And sometimes parents get attachment play much quicker than they get tears and tantrums because, uh, oh, if I could figure out a way to make it playful, then it would be good. And I did a lot of attachment play without calling it attachment play with my <laughs> daughter to to get her dressed it was always we had to do play <laughs> i had the panties on the head and the socks on my nose it was i i did everything with her and i think that was that was really good because it's the light moments like that where you're playing that really help to see that it's okay sometimes if the big emotions come and there's crying and and thrashing on the floor because of the the lighter moments that you have together. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that connection that you get through playing in these ways with your children is so powerful and so strong. And, and from that place, then you create that. I love how Aletha talks about that emotional safety that we're creating for our children to then come share with us it, it through play and through laughter. Yeah. And often, like you say, it is that parents find that aspect easier sometimes. Although, again, you know, most of us didn't receive this type of play. So it can be like learning a new language. It is like learning a new language. Yes, you're absolutely right. Yes. Are there aspects of it that you particularly enjoy uh, now when you're sharing with, with the clients that you work with? You know, these days, everything is online, so it's quite different for me. But I used to do workshops with real people in real places. <laughs> and I, I would take a parent and put them on my lap, even these big guys, you know, and it would change everything. And they could easily emote at that time because they were just not used to being on somebody's lap. You know, it's not something that we do as adults. But it's so important, and I would just cuddle them, and it changes everything. It allows them to feel what that might be like, and it's interesting what you said because usually it's the parents that, you know, they people come to me and say, "My daughter has a problem. Can you help me?" Sure, and then what it is, in fact, is that the parent has a problem that you can help with but they don't see it the same way as their children do. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's so often the case. Exactly, yes. So what about some of the other aspects of aware parenting then? Was it easy and natural for you to, to practice the attachment aspect, that close attunement, that physical connection, the breastfeeding and all of those aspects with your daughter? Yes, I think that because I had my daughter later in life, I was definitely ready to spend time with her, to spend time breastfeeding and and playing. And I did a lot of play with my daughter, a lot of play. 
And in the beginning, the first, the first few years, we didn't have a television. And then I just had uh, some way to play videos because I wanted her to be able to speak English. And I knew she would learn French because once children go out and play, they learn French. It was interesting. She came home from a French play group with her, her fist up against her mouth. I said, oh, wh what are you doing? And she showed me she had her thumb tucked into her fingers. It wasn't in her mouth, although it looked like it was in her mouth, because all of the other children were sucking their thumbs. She <laughs> thought that's what they were doing. And I've often in France, there are great systems of crèche where you can put your child from six weeks old. And it's a public caretaking system. And then it, preschool starts at three. As soon as they're potty trained, they can go to preschool. And in these places, the, the very often, the children are not accepted in the crash unless they have a doo-doo, which is some kind of a, a stuffed animal or piece of cloth or something that they must have with them at all times, and a, a dummy. What do you call it in uh, Australia? Yeah, a dummy. A, a dummy, okay. I mean, you can't send your child to the creche unless they have a dummy and a doo-doo. So obviously my daughter didn't go to a creche. <laughs> wow. And so it, it's built into the system. And you, if you want to not have your child have those things, then you've got to, you've got to really look for a creche that will allow your child not to have a doo-doo and a, and a dummy. Wow. The whole system is built up against you if you want to do aware parenting. It's very hard here, I think. I mean, I think it's hard for parents everywhere, but it's it's very difficult with a system that basically believes that it's best to send your children to public caring place. And, and many parents themselves have been in public caring places since they were six weeks old, so... They haven't had a lot of individual playtime or time to emote, and it's very difficult for them to be parents, I think. Yeah. Gosh, that's extraordinary. I'm, I'm really stunned to hear that that is a requirement of the crash. I mean, I understand why, of course, it's suppressing feelings. And when we put the aware parenting lens onto it, we can see why they don't want children to be crying and upset and making noise and so on. And they don't have the capacity or the understanding or the spaciousness to be listening to feelings. So they want children to come and be de dissociating from, from a very young age. But the impact of that is a bit heartbreaking, really, to think on a culture. I, I agree. And in the United States, I think you have to have one adult for every five children under five. And there are no laws like that here. So, I mean, sometimes at the creche, there, there might be 10 children under five for one person to care for. Gosh, yes, no one's needs getting met there, really, are there? <laughs> You know, and then the parents wonder why the child comes home and cries because they they feel safer at home to cry than they do at the crash. Mm. Certainly. Mm. And 
What about things like punishments and rewards then? Because that's obviously a strong part of this sort of westernized culture, this idea that we need to teach our children how to behave and that the best way to to get them to behave in a way that we want is with, with harshness and fear or bribery and coercion. How was that process? Was that something that you understood and, and made sense to you straight away? I would say yes, because I was never beaten by my parents. But but I my nephew, his mother was with a man who beat him almost daily. And when he was 14, he turned around. <laughs> he was getting a beating. He turned around and he started beating on the guy, you know. He called, and of course, this the stepfather called the police. <laughs> I remember my nephew saying, "Can you believe it? He called the police on me because he was used to being beaten every day, and it was not it was not a good situation at all." Yeah, I mean that's obviously a fairly extreme example, but that's that's why that's why it's so clear that it doesn't work to be punishing our children in these ways because it just creates a rupture in your relationship and it, it stops working when they get big enough to to turn around, turn around. and say no. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And I mean, it is now supposedly illegal to spank your children here. But that happened not that long ago. I'm sorry, I don't have the date for you. Uh, that they passed the law about not spanking. And to spank your child or to hit them on the hand or anything like that is was absolutely normal, normal here. And I remember when I first came here, I, I asked children whether they had ever seen corporal punishment in school. Oh, no, 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 never, never. Uh, I said, you've never seen anybody have their ears, but oh, that. Their ears pulled, of course. <laughs> that you've never seen anybody get a slapping on their hands with a ruler. Oh, that, yeah, okay, <laughs> that, yes. And supposedly now they are not allowed to use corporal punishment in schools, but uh, I'm not sure that it's quite finished. Yeah, it seems like such a big process to to undo some of these cultural misunderstandings about. Yeah, you know, what Indeed. our children really need from us, and and how how it's the best way to be supporting them in a way that facilitates their cooperation and encourages beautiful relationships and 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 supports them. And I think it's it all comes down to this misunderstanding, really, that our children's behaviour is a sign that they are having some struggles, that they're finding something really difficult, that they are having big feelings, or that their needs are not being met, or they're not understanding something properly, but. It's so clear when when you appreciate that that is the connection there, rather than our children being difficult or demanding or naughty or whatever else our culture tells us is is a is the result of our children behaving in these ways. Exactly, exactly. Yes. So that's not something that is really thought here. I think the idea here is that you've got to correct your children's bad behavior. Children are born bad. You've got to correct them. But in fact, children are born good, and they they need understanding. They need gentle guidance, of course, but they need understanding for sure. Yeah, yes, yeah, so that's the same here. I think in Australia, it's it's pretty a similar similar attitude in the majority of our culture. Yeah. 
Were you raised in Australia? No, I was raised in the UK. I'm from oh. I'm from London originally, um, where it's very similar culture too. In fact, it, there's a lot of punitive discipline in the UK. And I mean, I was at school where there was corporal punishment um, for the boys, not for the girls. We just got psychologically tortured. <laughs> but um, yes, it's such a it's still a big part of British culture too. Yes, 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 it is. Mm. Yeah. And uh, what about some of the other aspects then of aware parenting? So, for example, you know, offering our children loving limits. How, how was that process for you, learning how to do that and then sharing with other people how they can do that, how they can say no to their children in a way that is loving and, and supports their children to release the feelings that are getting in the way of them being cooperative or balanced? Well, I think that it is a struggle, of course. But I saw here so there, there are sort of two kinds of parenting, the authoritarian where, no, you're not going to have emotions, go and cry in your room. And the what they call baba cool, it's, a, uh, you know, back to nature, you nurse your child until they are seven or eight or 10. And you you do you let them do everything they want to do. But I found mothers who were completely destroyed, tired by that method. They couldn't leave their child for a second. And they came to me and asked me for help with that. And showing them that if they let the child cry with someone, usually the father because the mother was completely the control pattern for the child. So she would go out and the father would have to listen to the child. And after about three weeks, the child became able to handle the mother going out and not have to breastfeed every second and be able, in fact, to have a better life. Hmm. Yes, I love that because I think there is that sense. It's easy for us to be talking about this punitive aspect and this sort of more traditional way of parenting that's quite harsh and authoritarian. But of course, yeah, the opposite side of the spectrum, this very permissive type of parenting, whilst it is so beautiful in many ways and it's so much nicer than than the authoritarian way in terms of meeting our children's needs and so on, it is often completely unsustainable and exhausting for parents, because, especially for mothers, because yeah, always always saying no, and and in reality, of course, it's not actually meeting anybody's needs either in the family. So exactly, yeah. mm. Mm. exactly. So I've, I've dealt with both kinds of parenting here, and they both can learn from aware parenting. Yeah. It's a lovely alternative to to either system, which yeah. doesn't work for anybody. Is you're you're absolutely right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that people often find quite challenging with aware parenting is the fact that it's not widely understood. And often we're having to deal with the judgments and the misunderstandings of, of our partners or our families or our friends who, who don't get this approach and who don't approve. Sometimes they may find it really difficult to be seeing us listening to feelings or or even like you say, your experience of getting up at the dinner party when your daughter was crying. So how, how can we help parents to navigate these aspects of, of practicing this in our family, do you think? I think that showing them the results, you know, Aletha often points to her children. I mean, her children are, are, are doing very well. And showing those results, I think, can help. 
because people are afraid that if they give in give in to their children they will be ruled by their children and there's a lot of talk here about the child king child king oh my god you know don't let your children become a child king i don't see them becoming kings certainly but if you can show them that there are people who grew up with this method and they're normal they have good lives it's very important i think mm-hmm. because it's difficult when you have a small child to imagine you know what your child is on the floor in the supermarket screaming you know and everybody's looking at you or your cr- child cries in the bus and everyone's looking at you it's difficult to imagine that that child is going to one day be a professor at a university or a doctor or you know and i think that uh, having information like that does help it does help us to put things in perspective mm. Yes, I think when our children are little, we often have doubts and that creep in and we think, is it really okay to be listening to feelings? Is it really okay to allow our child to have a big tantrum? And is it really okay for us not to be using punishments when our children behave in ways that we don't enjoy? And all of these questions that creep in, because of course, this isn't how we were raised. And so it is often those doubts that come up for us. And yeah, I, I say, because my children are grown up now too, they're 19 and 16. And I often say, that I can reassure people that the results of parenting in this way is that you have these beautiful relationships and connections with your children and your children are grow up to be adults who, who know how to reach out for support, who, who can express themselves in really healthy ways, who have this sort of compassionate way of speaking to themselves and to others. And it's it's not that they're going to continue to have tantrums in the supermarket when they're adults. It's It just doesn't work like that. But by offloading so much of the painful feelings that they're experiencing in their childhood, they do grow up to be these really resilient and, and yeah, really connected and compassionate adults. Exactly. And I think also the fact that when you let your child have tantrums at home, when you let your child cry at home, they don't do it in public. And my daughter threw a temper tantrum in the supermarket one time, and she happened to be with Aletha Salter's mom. She knew it was safe to have a tantrum. And she had jet lag. And I mean, we just arrived in America after uh, coming from France. And she she knew she could throw a tantrum. <laughs> it was great to 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 see uh, Tonya just listening to her. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so powerful, so powerful. And what about meeting needs in the family? That's another thing that often comes up when we're practicing this approach and we're trying to meet our children's needs as much as we can. We're trying to be aware of what their needs might be and and to meet them. But we also are trying to learn how to meet our own needs. And, and often many of us neglected our needs. And often we then grow up to be mothers who neglect our needs or, or parents, fathers who neglect their needs. And so what would you like to say about that process? I'm very big on family meetings where people, even small children, can ask somebody else to write down what they want to talk about at the family meeting and having a family meeting once a week where you go through and say, "Okay, what do you want? 
And I think it's really important, even if we can't always give everybody what they want, because sometimes children say things like, I want to stay up until when I am, and they have school the next day. It doesn't really work out. But at least to hear what they have to say, I think is very important. And to try to find a solution. Uh, maybe you can stay up on Saturday night, Friday and Saturday night until 1 a.m., but not during the week. I think it's it's important that people have the feeling that they count. So if everybody gets to write down what it is they want to talk about at the family meeting and all the subjects are talked about and everybody is listening and everybody is trying to find a solution, I think it's it's very important that people don't feel that they are left out. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody gets a voice in the family. Everybody gets heard. Everybody gets to feel understood to feel like their their opinions matter. Exactly. Yeah, so powerful. Uh, and what about for mothers and, and taking steps to meet their needs? Was was that something that you, you found easy to do, to, to take time to care for yourself as well, or, or was that a process to learn how to do that? I think it, it's still a process. I'm still yeah. learning how to take care of myself, although it's easier now. <laughs> but I don't think, I really don't think that without having a listening, different listening partners, I could have ever managed. And I'm very grateful for that. Mm. Yes. I mean, so so many of us as children didn't have our needs met. So we grew up disconnected from our needs. And so we become adults who are also disconnected from our needs. And then we live in this culture where none of that is really valued. And it's really difficult to do that. But yes, through talking to other people and sharing how hard things are, it really helps us to get clear about what we are needing, what we are feeling, and then taking small steps to try to address some of that. That's also been a really and an ongoing process for me too. It wasn't till recently that I even really knew that I had any needs. Um, and it wasn't till recently that I started to take some steps to actually take care of myself in those ways. Yeah, another big unlearning for us. I'd love to talk to you uh, as well about your association that you have set up. Can you tell us a little bit about that, where that came from and, and what you do? We have a website um, and on the website we list all of the aware parenting instructors in France and we list our workshops and we plan for for future events and it's very difficult to communicate I think with to find an audience of people I have given like small talks in the town hall sometimes and just to give people an idea of what we do just the idea that it's okay to cry and you should listen to your children. It's revolutionary for most people. Most people would say, no, that's not right. <laughs> and so in the association, we are trying to have enough workshops that people can come to the workshops. How we get the information out is quite, I would say, difficult. So I think it's a question of letting people know that there is an alternative to punishments or just let the child do whatever they want, uh, that there's a there's another alternative. And I think that it's uh, I think that it's an important uh, thing to let people know. Mm. Yeah, 
So important to be sharing that. And what are your dreams and your your visions for the future for aware parenting? Because um, as we've said, it's it's something that is growing, but it still remains a minority and and a small a small group of people who are practicing this beautiful way in their families. What what would you love for the future? Oh, I, I would love to continue doing in person workshops because I feel a bit stifled by the the PowerPoints, you know, it's not the same as being able to take somebody on your knees, you know, <laughs> and I'm very happy. I'm, I'm, I will be going in April. I'm going to Switzerland to do a workshop for parents of a massaging children group. So that will be a new step in the right direction. And hopefully we will get some people who want to become aware parenting instructors. Wonderful. Of course, one of the things that I hear is that, well, when I read that you have to be able to, you know, speak English and read English, I said, no way, (laughs) because uh, not everyone is equipped to do that. Mm. Yeah. And it's so wonderful now. Aletha's books have been translated into so many languages. It makes the information accessible for for people who who don't speak English or who for whom English is not their first language. Yes, but it's still a requirement that you understand English and can read her in English. So mm. uh, that stops a lot of people, I think. Here, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'll put some links into to your resources and your website in the show description. So that would be great. But what what else do you offer? How can people find out about you and, and your offerings and your workshops and your association? Well, I think if uh, people find out through reading one of Aletha Salter's books, they see it at the bookstore and they pick it up and that then they are, they are connected to us to our association, to our teachings. So that is the main way. But otherwise, I don't know. You tell me, how do you how do you get the information out there? Well, I'll put the links to your website. And do you advertise your workshops on there? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'll put that on then. Thank you. And the last thing I always ask people is, is what would you say to your younger self back at the beginning of this process that you would have loved to have really deeply known and understood back then? I think that it'll all turn out. (laughs) My mother used to say this, it'll all come out in the wash. (laughs) She was from East Texas. There was an R in wash. In the end, it all turns out all right. And it seems so dramatic sometimes what your children go through. And uh, uh, it's very hard for them and very hard for you. And in the end, I love just spending an hour just chatting with my daughter. It's fabulous. I mean, wonderful to have that connection with her. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that because, yeah, like you say, we often get so tied up and especially when we're drawn to aware parenting and we want to do aware parenting perfectly and we want to listen to all the feelings. And of course we can't. And there is no such thing as doing it perfectly. So it's really lovely to to remind ourselves from time to time that, yeah, it's it's all going to be OK. You can trust that it's all going to be all right. And, and imperfection is OK. Yes. 
Is there anything else that you would like to share that you haven't had a chance to talk about so far? Is there anything else that you particularly want to talk about? I'm sure it's once we'll hang up, I'll think of many things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for making time to come and talk to us all. I really appreciate you getting up early in the morning in France and sharing your many, many years of wisdom about this approach and, and how you're sharing it now still all these years later and the the beautiful things about aware parenting and how it supports families. So thank you so much. Thank you for having asked me. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm-hmm.